All right, continuing our study through 1 Thessalonians here on the Listener's Commentary, we are in this session going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 through 13, the whole chapter of chapter 3, because it really all goes together as one unit of thought. And we should keep in mind that chapter 3 is part of this first part of 1 Thessalonians. It's all about Paul's relationship to the Thessalonians. He's affirming his love for them and his affection for them. And he's explaining why he's been absent and hasn't been able to be there. And as such, it's important to keep in mind that 1 Thessalonians 3 flows directly out of the end of chapter 2. And in that sense, these chapter breaks that were put in later and are somewhat arbitrary oftentimes cause us to miss the flow of thought. And so to understand where chapter 3 fits into the flow of thought, we really need to look back at the end of chapter 2. Chapter 2 ends with expressions of Paul's affection for them and how they're his joy and his glory and his crown, how he longs to have seen them, right? And he wants to be with them, and yet he hasn't been able to do that. That's where chapter 2 ends, and chapter 3 picks up with the word, therefore, saying, Because of that, because I love you so much, because you mean so much to me, because you've become so important to me, and because I desire to be with you, therefore, and then he writes what he says here in chapter 3, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it best to be left behind alone at Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith. Paul's point is that his affection for them is so deep and his concern for them is so real that that's why he sent Timothy to them. It's not because he himself really didn't care or he didn't want to be there. It's that he couldn't be there. Remember, Satan had prevented him and he he cares for them so deeply that He sent Timothy because that was the best case scenario under the circumstances as a way for Paul to see how they were doing and to establish them in their faith. And as we read that first verse or two there of 1 Thessalonians 3, we need to try to piece it together with what we see of Paul's travels or movements in Acts 17 and 18 and see if we can't kind of at least figure out a little bit of the the story or the flow of what's going on in Paul's life. So here's the way things play out in Acts 16, 17, and the first part of 18. Paul picks up Timothy at the beginning of chapter 16 and takes him along as a new member of his ministry team. Their first major stop is in the city of Philippi, where Paul and Silas are arrested and beaten with rods and put in uh, jail. Then they have the earthquake in the middle of the night and all of that. That's chapter 16 in Philippi. They travel from Philippi down to Thessalonica. And Paul ministers in Thessalonica for a while. And then that's where Jason has to pay a pledge, which essentially forces Paul out of town. All of this at least involves Silas. He's mentioned a couple times in the text. He's mentioned in Philippi and he's mentioned uh, here with Paul in Thessalonica and Berea. Timothy's not mentioned. So either Timothy is left behind in Philippi or Luke is just leaving his name out because Paul and Silas are the two primary spokesmen for the ministry at this point. And so most of the action involves them. It's probably more that latter one and Timothy's with him. And so they travel from Thessalonica to Berea. The Jews from Thessalonica come to Paul at Berea and stir up trouble there. And so Paul, once again, is forced to leave. This time, however, 
he leaves by himself with just a few of the brothers, the new believers there from Berea, and he leaves Silas and Timothy in Macedonia, and he's going to head south to Achaia, specifically to the city of Athens. And Luke tells us in Acts 17 that he tells the brothers who traveled with him to Athens on their return to instruct Silas and Timothy to join him in Achaia as soon as they can. And so they then head back to Macedonia, and Paul is left alone in Athens. And that seems to be the event that 1 Thessalonians 3 is describing. Uh, so Paul is in Athens by himself. Silas and Timothy are back in Macedonia. And what Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is that specifically when he fled Berea, he instructed Timothy, you head back to Thessalonica, you work with them, and Silas stay in Berea, or Silas go back to Philippi. Silas is there doing some work as well. Maybe he's staying in Berea, not totally sure. But Timothy is instructed to head to Thessalonica. That's probably the best reconstruction. It's possible that Silas and Timothy came to Paul at Athens, then Paul sent them back to Macedonia, and then they came back to Paul at Corinth. But that's a, a lot of extra travel, none of which is mentioned in the book of Acts. When we meet Silas and Timothy again, Paul has left Athens. He's in Corinth, from which he writes 1 Thessalonians, and that's where Silas and Timothy join him. So probably our better reconstruction is to see that this sending of Timothy to Thessalonica is upon Paul's leaving of Berea. And so he sends Timothy back to the Thessalonians. He leaves Berea. He heads to Athens, and he's hoping that some point soon, Silas and Timothy will be able to uh, rejoin him when he's down there in Achaia, which they do when he leaves Athens and he heads to Corinth. And notice how Timothy is described here in 1 Thessalonians 3. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother, God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith. And part of the reason I think he gives Timothy these credentials is, remember, Timothy, as we noted in that quick recap of the story in Acts, Timothy's fairly new to the team. He's young. He's fairly inexperienced, which is probably why he doesn't get a whole lot of press in Acts 16 and 17. He's fairly new to the team. And so, he needs to really be affirmed by Paul here so that the Thessalonians understand Paul wasn't uh, sending, you know, an unimportant person. He wasn't sending some, you know, junior lackey that really didn't have any credentials. So he makes sure they know Timothy is Paul's brother. He's part of his team. He's one of his brothers in arms, brothers in ministry, and he's God's fellow worker, which is a fairly rare phrase in Paul. In fact, there's a textual variant here because it's so rare, but it does show up in the Corinthian correspondence as well. And I suspect Paul's using this unique phrase here for Timothy because Timothy is young, Timothy is inexperienced, and the Thessalonians need to understand, no, how committed Timothy is to the ministry and how important Timothy really is. Timothy is an important member of the team. He's God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. And Paul sent him to them specifically to strengthen and encourage you 
for the benefit of your faith. So he, he sent Timothy back to the Thessalonians to help strengthen and bolster their faith. Paul's ministry was cut short. He was forced out of town. He didn't get to complete the job. And so Timothy now is his stand-in and going to help establish them, help strengthen them in the faith. Specifically, verse 3 says, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. Part of the things that has caused Paul such concern for the Thessalonians is that Thessalonica has been a hostile environment. It was hostile towards Paul. That hostility already took up Jason and some other believers, even while Paul was there. Paul has left, and presumably that hostility seems to have still continued. And so they're suffering hostility, afflictions, because of their faith in Jesus. And Timothy is going to be there to help make sure that no one is disturbed by these afflictions. That word disturbed has the idea of that no one is shaken, right? Like no one is, is knocked around and unsettled by these afflictions. In fact, Paul then says this, here's how you need to think about afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Like suffering, hardship, hostility, afflictions, difficulty, we have been destined for this. We have been established. That's just part and parcel of our lot as followers of Christ. We have been destined for this. That's what he says. And so I don't want you to be disturbed by these afflictions. That's the reason I sent Timothy to you. You've been destined for this. In fact, Paul says in verse 4, even when we were with you, we kept on telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it happened, as you know. And Paul that is saying, it's this is part of his teaching, like when we first preached the gospel to you and when we were first establishing you in the faith, we, we didn't just tell you once, literally we kept telling you. Uh, recurring action in the Greek verb tense, right? Like we were telling you over and over again regularly while we were there ahead of time that we were going to suffer. Paul and his team were going to suffer. We as followers of Jesus were going to suffer. It happened to Paul and his team. It happened to some of those early believers there in Thessalonica. We were going to suffer affliction, and it happened, and you know that. And so this is just part of what it means to follow Jesus. Affliction is part and parcel of following Christ. For this reason, he says in verse 5, because of this, because affliction happened, because it's part of our our following of Jesus, it's just something that comes with the territory. For this reason, he picks up the, the thread he began in verse 1, when I could endure it no longer, when I could endure my concern and my wondering about you no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. And so Paul's in Berea. He's been away from the Thessalonians for a while. He hasn't been able to return. Things now have gotten hard in Berea because of the Jews from Thessalonica who have come there. Paul now has to leave Berea, and he's still worried about the Thessalonians, and he wants to make sure their faith is established. And so he says, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. And so he sent Timothy to them to find out how their faith was doing because he says, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be for nothing. Paul's concern is that the tempter, i.e. Satan, who Paul has said at the end of chapter 2 is the one who prevented him from coming, he now sees Satan as the one using this affliction and this hardship as a temptation to abandon their faith 
And if that were the case, Paul says, our work, our toil, our labor among you would have come up empty, would have been good for nothing. And I was worried about that. And so I sent Timothy you just to check on you to see how you're doing to make sure that your faith is well established. And so now Timothy has returned from Macedonia, returned from Thessalonica. He's come to Paul in Corinth, and he's brought a fairly positive report about the Thessalonians. So verse 6 says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and he's brought good news of your faith and love. So your faith in Jesus, your love for God, obviously, but your love for other people. He's brought good news that your faith is still strong. You're actually growing in love. He's brought good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. And so Timothy showed up. He's brought a a good report. Their faith is strong. They're growing in love. They still think of you with fond affection, Paul, and uh, they wish they could see you. And Paul's like, I wish I could see you too. And so because of all of that, he says in verse 7, For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Paul says, in the midst of all our hardship, in the midst of all our affliction, the fact that your faith is still there and still growing and you haven't tossed in the towel, in view of all of that, man, we were comforted because of your faith. And Paul's been going through a lot of distress and affliction. If you read the story in Acts of chapter 16, 17, and 18, it has been a rough, rough year, rough year and a half for Paul in ministry. He was beaten with rods and put in stocks and thrown in jail in Philippi before Thessalonica. He was forced out of Thessalonica and had to cut his ministry short. He was forced out of Berea, had to cut his ministry short there, sailed down to Athens. In Athens, he essentially got left out of town and very little fruit came for his pre- from his preaching. Now he's in Corinth, and Paul actually says when he writes his letter to the Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, that don't you remember that when I was with you, I was with you in fear and in trembling, right? Like he came to them and it had been a rough go, a rough season. Now he's coming to Corinth, one of the largest cities in the empire, and man, he, he and it wasn't easy. And then he ends up getting called before the proconsul in Corinth. He's had a lot of affliction and distress and difficulty and hardship over the last little while. And he says, in view of all of that, your continuing in the faith brought comfort to me, brought gladness and strength and comfort and joy to my heart. And so um, he says, we were comforted about Uh, you through your faith. And then he goes on in verse 8 and once again expresses his heart. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. It's like, man, if you stand firm, that's a source of life for us. That's a source of joy for us. That's a source of strength and comfort for us. And so the fact that you're standing firm, man, that brings us life. We really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks, verse 9, can we give to God for you in return for all the joy which we rejoice because of you before our God? And so it's like your your standing firm has brought us so much joy that now we're thanking God gladly and joyfully when we pray. And, And how can we ever thank God enough for that? We're just so grateful for you and we're so glad for your continuing in the faith, he says. Uh, And so we're rejoicing before God because of you, 
as we keep praying, notice this, verse 10, as we keep praying, not just a little bit, but we keep praying regularly and continually, we're on and on praying most earnestly, night and day. Notice that. So during the night, during the day, we're praying on a regular basis that we may see your faces. Like we want to be there. We're praying that somehow God would open the door for that to happen because we long to see you. And we want to come and complete what is lacking in your faith. And so Paul is thanking God that they're, st- they're staying true to the faith. Paul is rejoicing before God because of that. He's begging God that he can come and be with them and he can continue his ministry among them and can complete what is lacking in their faith. His ministry was cut short. He didn't get to finish teaching them everything he felt like they needed to know. He didn't get to establish them in, in the truths of the gospel and in uh, help them to grow in their faith to the extent that he could feel confident their faith was strong, solid, and secure. And so he, he wants to be among them again so they can do that. And he's begging God that that would be possible. And then verses 11 through 13 really just almost is like a prayer report. Paul writes down how he's praying that way, right? Like how he's praying to come to them and how he's praying to establish their faith. So here's how he's praying. Verses 11 through 13, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, right? We're praying earnestly night and day that we may see your faces. Here's the words he's using. Oh God, our Father, oh Jesus, our Lord, would you direct our way to the Thessalonians? And so he's praying that, that God would open the door and make it possible for, for he and, and his team to return to them. And verse 12, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another. He wants to complete what's lacking in their faith. He can't be there. So he's asking the Lord to, to work in their life in this way. Oh Lord, may you May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in your love for one another. And part of what he wants to establish in their faith is this deeper love for one another and this deeper love for all people. He goes on to increase and overflow in your love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. The very love we have for you, we want to see that overflow in you towards each other and towards all people, the people in town, the people who you know, are even difficult and hostile towards you, your neighbors and your co-workers who don't believe in Jesus, your fellow saints from neighboring cities. We want you to just overflow with love for all people. And so we're praying that God would make that happen among you. And then verse 13 ends with the ultimate goal of all that. So we want your, we're praying for the Lord to cause your love to overflow. Verse 13, so that he, God, may establish your hearts. Catch that. So that he may establish, like strengthen, like plant your hearts down deep in who God is, his character, his gospel, his grace, his good news. We want your heart to be established in the faith of Jesus. Uh, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Man, that's beautiful. This is what Paul is aiming at. I want you to be so full of faith, so full of love that your hearts would be established before God when Jesus returns. Um, And notice that he says, I want your hearts to be established blameless in holiness. That this increase in overflowing in love for one another and for all people is it has as its trajectory blamelessness in holiness, right? Like the, the secret to being blameless in holiness is growing in love for one another and for all people. And so 
Paul is praying that that's what would happen, that they would become set apart. That's the basic idea of holy, that they would be consecrated to God, set apart for God and for his purposes, for his honor, for his glory. They'd be living God's way as a result of being set apart for him, that that would show up in holiness and in love for all people, and that they would be blameless that way when Jesus comes with all his saints, with all his holy people, that when Jesus returns and he brings with him all God's people, that they would be part of those people set apart for God, holy, pure, blameless, because of their growth in faith and love. All right, that's the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and the end really of that first major part where Paul has been just addressing concerns about his absence from them, affirming his love and his relationship for them. And here specifically in this section, as we kind of just look back thematically at what he said, obviously he's talking about why he's absent from them, how he's tried to address that, how he wants to be with them, and he's praying that way. But notice through this chapter the emphasis on the Thessalonians' faith. I've sent Timothy to you to encourage you for the benefit of your faith. He says then in verse 5, I sent him to find out about your faith. Timothy's come to us in verse 6 and brought good news of your faith. Oh, we were comforted about you through your faith in verse 7. Verse 10, I'm praying that I might come to you and complete what's lacking in your faith. I mean, you hear that, and that gives us an idea of really what Paul is most concerned about. He's concerned about the well-being of their faith, that affliction, hostility, suffering, difficulty, That's part of our lot in life. And though it may damage us physically, it may even lead to our death physically. Paul's greatest concern is, how is your faith doing? And so as we listen to Paul's concern as a pastor, and as a shepherd for these people, we hear really what he's most concerned about. And he's concerned about the well-being of their faith. He wants to see them grow in faith. He wants them to be established in faith. He wants to help them grow in what's lacking in their faith. And this really is the essence of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, discipleship to Jesus that leads to spiritual growth, is ultimately growth in faith. Being strong in faith and established in faith. And faith is a relational term. And in our relationship with God, our confidence in God, our living with God and for God, according to God's ways, is the expression of our growth in faith. And so that's Paul's greatest concern for the Thessalonians. Uh, If he were our pastor today, it would be his greatest concern for us. If we're a pastor today, that should be the greatest concern we have for our people is, are they growing in their faith and becoming mature in faith so that they're strong and rooted, so that their hearts would be blameless in holiness before God at the coming of the Lord Jesus? That's That's the direction of Paul's ministry, and it really should be the direction of our life. Are we growing in faith? Are we helping others to grow in faith? Our family, our kids, our friends, our small group, right, our fellow believers, are we all growing in faith together so that we can please God as his people? 